0: Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. Page 948 in one of those blue church Bibles, if you're using one of those, they're located underneath the seats around you. And we're going to be looking at... uh, It's a section, a unit, verses 9 through 21, and we're just really going to focus on verse 9 today. So as part of uh, the hiring process... An employee might receive what is called a code of conduct, a code of conduct that you must read and agree to abide by. Are you familiar with that? Have you ever experienced something like that, code of conduct? Well, if you're not sure what that is, a code of conduct generally lays out an organization's uh, expectations and guiding principles for appropriate workplace behavior, okay? So they just want to make sure everyone's up front and they're clear about what they expect of you and how you are to behave while you are there working. Some code of conducts even include outside of work. They even address that. There's a certain way you have to behave outside of work as well. Well, the verses before us, verses 9 through 21 of chapter 12, provide what I believe to be a Christian code of conduct. Christian code of conduct, which is, why I gave this section that title. It is a short series of exhortations or commands concerning how Christians are to appropriately conduct themselves in this world with an emphasis on relationships, relationships with both those inside the church and outside the church. One writer, commentator referring to this section says that Nowhere else in Paul's writings, so in all of his letters, all of his epistles, nowhere else in Paul's writings do we find a more concise collection of ethical injunctions, which is simply another way of saying uh, moral commands or orders. It's right here in verses 9 through 21. Now remember that at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 12 of Romans, uh, in verse two, we already covered this. Paul said this, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." Okay I just bring that up because I understand verses nine through 21 to simply be spelling out in detail. What God's good, acceptable, and perfect will looks like for us as Christians. This is how we are to live as followers of Jesus Christ. This is appropriate conduct or behavior for the believer. With me? Okay, good. Now let's look at the section. We'll read the entire thing, and then we'll begin to to work through it beginning with verse 9, and we're going to read all the way to 21, or the end of that chapter. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord." Says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we're going to look at all of this, not today, (laughs) over the next couple of weeks. One writer commenting on this section, I thought it's just appropriate, after all those exhortations, you might be feeling a little bit of heaviness, maybe some guilt. (laughs) One writer says, an honest look at our lives in light of these precepts, in light of this moral instruction, will bring conviction about our failure to keep some of them, and confidence about our success in keeping others, where we fall short. We should ask the Lord's help. Where we have been faithful, we should give him thanks and praise. Something to remember as we work through this section. Beloved, why would we give... We know why we're going to ask God for help where we fail, right? Why would we give him thanks where we find these things to be true to one degree or another in our lives? Why would we give God thanks and praise? Why do you think? Huh? Think about it. Right? We're not like, hey... Good job there. Good job. Excellent work there, buddy. You know, we don't, it's not self-congratulations or self-praise, but we're giving praise to God as we see his work in our lives. In fact, Paul says it this way in Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God. God is working out your salvation. You are cooperating with God, you are cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit, or at least you should be, otherwise you will not make progress in this area of your life, but God is ultimately the one at work in you, empowering you, motivating you, convicting you, encouraging you, exhorting you. It's God. And so ultimately, as we see these things to be true in our lives, as we see them being manifested, don't ever take credit, beloved, Give God the praise. Give God the praise. Just keep that in mind. In this series of exhortations or commands, the first is what? What is the first? Look back at your Bibles. What is it, beloved? Come on. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Now, before we talk about what it means for our love to be genuine, I think it would be good to say something about love. Okay? Because our... Society has all kinds of ideas about what love is and they're usually not biblical, right? Sometimes even Christians have adopted these ideas and they're unbiblical and they need to correct their thinking concerning what love really is. The love Paul refers to here, this love, is not emotionalism. It's not emotionalism, that ooey-gooey feeling or sentimentality. It's not that. But listen, this is what it is. It's an agape love. That's the Greek word. You've probably heard that before, agape. It is a love that is unselfish, self-giving, and willful devotion. Let me say that again. If you want to define this love, biblical love, the love that Paul's talking about here, it is unselfish, self-giving, and willful devotion. And I say that because biblical love has been made known to us in the person and saving work of Jesus Christ. That's how we know what love is, beloved. He, Christ, has shown us what true Christian love is. In fact, that's exactly what the Apostle John says in 1 John 3.16. He says this, By this we know love. By what, John? That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Another translation of that passage just reads like this. We have come to know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Thus, we ought to lay down our lives for our fellow Christians. Why? Why would we lay down our lives for our fellow Christians? (laughs) Because Christians are to love one another. And that is what it means to love, demonstrated by Jesus Christ, the ultimate lover. The Apostle John is saying, beloved, we know what love is because we have a perfect example of it in the historical event of Jesus' death on the cross on our behalf. Jesus gave up his life, not as a victim, as some dumb movies try to portray when they reflect the life of Jesus Christ. He wasn't a victim. He came willingly. He came knowingly. And
1: he made his way to the cross by choice. Why? To save sinners. To reconcile them to God.
0: Jesus' death, beloved, was love on display. A love that went the distance. You hear me? It went the distance, beloved. It went all the way. A love that was willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. Jesus' love was not simply sentimental, nor did it express itself only in words. I love you, but I'm just going to chill here and let you guys
1: rot. Which is exactly what would happen if his love was just that, words.
0: But beloved, his love was made clear for us, for everyone, for the entire world to see. By what he did. Loving us, he laid down his life for us. You get it? The bottom line is we learn. We
1: learn what true love is, not by watching some dumb Hollywood movie, but by having observed it in Christ's wonderful love for us.
0: That's biblical love. And John says it is this type of sacrificial love that Christians ought to have or manifest toward one another. It is a love that denies self. It denies self. It's a love that sacrifices self for another's gain and even unto death if such an occasion presents itself. Commenting on this passage, one writer said this, the love of Christ followers. Hey, who are Christ followers? That'd be us. If we're Christians. Okay, so he's talking about us. The love of Christ followers is to parallel the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary. Another writer says, it is a love that is prepared for to meet the needs of others, whatever the cost in self-sacrifice. Whatever the cost. This goes against all that we are, beloved. We are a selfish bunch of people born that way. Sinners. I mean, we we throw around the word sin a lot. We're sinners, we're sinners. And that's true.
1: But sometimes it's helpful to define what that means. It means we're selfish to the core. It means we love ourselves until God
0: begins to do a work in us. We still struggle with the selfishness, but when he begins to do that work, something else then takes place. We begin to find the power to, to love one another, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, to love the
1: lost and dying world around us in a way that is willful, sacrificial. Commenting on this phrase, in 1st John 3:16 that
0: we ought to lay down our lives for our fellow Christians one commentator says this we do this by becoming truly concerned about the needs of our Christian brothers and sisters and by unselfishly giving time effort prayer and possessions to supply those needs and beloved these needs are not just material, I don't think just material, but how about spiritual needs? How about emotional needs? We'll see this when, when we go through the text in verse 15, Paul commands the re, his readers to weep with those who weep. That's an emotional need of our brothers and sisters in Christ. By the way, just don't think brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, here in the church, but this would also be like in your home. Your spouse, if they're a believer, is your brother or sister in Christ. Huh? 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 So when I read, truly concerned about the needs of our Christian brothers and sisters, it should begin in the home. Right there. That's where it starts. Selfishly giving time, effort, prayer. It goes on to say, such an attitude would result in actually dying for a fellow Christian if this were ever necessary oh, the quote's gone already, but that's okay, it's coming back. You just listen. Our lives should not be more precious to us than God's own son was to him. You probably already read it, but it's okay to hear it again, right? Our lives should not be more precious to us than God's own son was to him. He gave his son.
1: He gave his life. Who do you think you are? You think you're more special than him? In Ephesians 5 2,
0: the Apostle Paul said something similar to what the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. He says there, and live in love, or as ESV translates it, walk in love, or as the NIRV translates it, lead a life of love. How? Just as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Now, considering all that, considering Christ's love, one writer says this, based on Christ's self-sacrificing love on the cross, we can define biblical love as a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. Let me read that again. We can define biblical love as a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. Remember that. We'll come back to that. And lastly, I would add that according to Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, this love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We as Christians are enabled and motivated to love one another and to love others as Christ loved us by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. This love, beloved, is a supernatural work. It's a supernatural work. A supernatural work of the Spirit of God in our lives. Now, back to our text in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul's command to the Christians in Rome is to let love, this type of love that I just talked to you about, let this self-sacrificing love be genuine. Be genuine. What is Paul talking about? What is he talking about? Well, the Greek word translated genuine in the ESV, the translation we use here, the English Standard Version, It literally means without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. That's what the word literally means. Which is how some other Bible translations have chosen to translate it. You may have one of those. For instance, the New American Standard Bible, without hypocrisy. The New King James. The NET. The HCSB, or the Holman Christian Standard Bible. All good Bibles. They translate that word without hypocrisy. So, Paul is literally saying... Let love be without hypocrisy. And remember the kind of love we're talking about. Biblical love, Christian love, exemplified in Christ. Now, in ancient times, and this is something that's helpful to know because you may just think of the word hypocrite and have a certain idea of what that means, but in ancient times, hypocrite was the name given to the actor in a Greek play who would put on a mask and represent a character in that play. Some of the masks were sad. You may have seen these in theater. They might have the white mask with the sad face, and some of the masks were happy. They're called hypocrites. But the actor did not necessarily feel what the mask indicated. The mask simply showed the role he was playing. That's all. So what is Paul getting at here? Paul's exhortation to let love be genuine or without hypocrisy is really a command to not play the part of an actor on the stage. As one writer put it, not to turn the church into a stage on which we act as if we truly love each other, when in fact we do not. a biblical illustration of completely disingenuous
1: or insincere or hypocritical love would be Judas. Turn your Bibles, if you would, quickly to John.
0: Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. So it's just to the left a few books back. John 12, John 12. If you're using those blue, one of those blue Bibles, it's page 898. I just want you to see something here, read the text to you, see it in your own Bible. John chapter 12, verses 1, 1 through 6, I'll read. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, and John adds this commentary, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Beloved, 300 denarii would be, uh, a denarii was a common man's wages uh, for the day. So it's approximately a year's worth of wages. So this was, this was quite the perfume. It was expensive. And look what John says, the Apostle John says verse 6. He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas, beloved, not only pretended to care for or love the poor, but he also pretended to be devoted to Christ. However his hypocrisy was unmasked his sincere love insincere love revealed when he betrayed the lord for 30 pieces of silver That's disingenuous insincere hypocritical love playing an actor on a stage
1: Now beloved listen carefully Paul wouldn't exhort us as Christians
0: to let our love be genuine unless there was a real possibility of it not always being genuine. Huh? He wouldn't give the command. He wouldn't give the exhortation if this was not a potential danger for every single one of us, believers in Jesus Christ. One writer puts it this way, apparently, apparently, there is a danger that in certain cases, what looks like love, what looks like love is actually something quite distinct. Now, remember what I said earlier, that biblical love could be defined as unselfish, self-giving, and willful devotion, or... You could add to that a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one
1: loved.
0: Just think about that, husbands and wives, just to apply it. Just think about that. Is that your love for your spouse? Is that the kind of love you exercise for your spouse? Right now, we're in the context of talking about our love, love towards one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. But think about that. When our love is genuine, when it is real biblical love, then we will unselfishly desire God's very best for others and sacrificially give ourselves toward that goal. When it is genuine love. When it is
1: biblical love. Now, here are a few ways in which we can pretend
0: To love one another. Pretend. Because you're saying, well, I don't, I don't, my love is genuine. Okay. Always. It's always genuine. It's always biblical love. It's always without hypocrisy. It's always pure and undefiled. Here's some ways. We can serve others. Remember, putting on the mask, it appears like love, but it's not. Not biblical love. So here's an example. We can serve others, serve others in this body. So listen, we have a lot of people who serve here, a lot. We just couldn't pull it off without you. And I'm grateful for you. I'm thankful to the core. But why are you serving? What's really going on in your heart when you serve? So it certainly appears... To be loved. It's a loving thing to do, is it not? To get here early, to set up, to stay late, to tear down, to practice for the band, to, to do all the things. I have a guy every Sunday, he gets up early and puts out the signs. You know, he has to leave his house and do that. I mean, that's a, it certainly appears to be a loving thing, and it may very well be. But sometimes we serve others not because of an unselfish, self-giving, and willful
1: devotion, but in order to be seen serving. Or thought well of by those we're serving. Or to receive praise. Hello? Gosh, it got quiet in here. It
0: got quiet. Or we serve because it is a, a duty or obligation that we believe is expected of us to perform. Hmm? Beloved, that's hypocritical love. That is love that is with hypocrisy. Another way we can pretend to love one another is through our words. Through our words to one another, by Leading others to believe that we really care about them, when in reality, their welfare is the last thing on our minds. Well, how might you do that? How might you do that? Well, ah, oh, brother, I'm—I'll pray for you. But we never do. Now, listen, not because we're forgetful. I get that, because I am forgetful. If I don't write it down, I'll forget. I'll forget, and. It's not because I don't love you, I do, but I'll forget. I get caught up in everything, so if I say I'll pray for you, I either have to do it right then, which is a good idea, or write it down. But many times we don't pray or we may not pray for someone who we're telling them, brother,
1: oh, sister, oh, I'll pray for you. We don't pray for them because we never really intended to. This is how we pretend love. It's not genuine. It's not real. Another way we
0: feign love is under the appearance of love when we
1: gossip about others through prayer request, Huh? So, uh, Bob,
0: I don't know if you heard about Sharon. Um, yeah, I know. I, oh, it's terrible. I mean, I can't, all this stuff going on. We really should pray about her, but here, let me, let me tell you everything that she told me in confidence and that she certainly wouldn't want you knowing or anybody else. In fact, now that I've said that, uh, don't tell anybody else. Just keep it to yourself. But we'll be private, secret prayer partners for our uh, dear sister, Sharon, who's so messed up in so many ways. Uh, but we love her and we care about her. So don't tell anyone. And then you know what happens. And then Bob goes, hey, Steve, uh, I was told in confidence, so please don't tell anyone else, but, you know, caring for Sharon, we, we should pray for her. What about? Oh, oh, my goodness, let me tell you about how messed up and ruined Sharon is. And, Huh? Beloved, that is hypocritical love. That is feigned love. That is not genuine love. If you love them, then you seek their highest good. And running them down, when they, especially when they told you something in confidence,
1: it's not love. It's not love. So, these things should not be so, right? Let love be genuine. Let love be without
0: hypocrisy. And when it isn't, because it can be, that can be the case for every single one of us at any time. Right? At any time. It's not like, oh, okay, I've got this one nailed. Let love be genuine. I'm done. No, this is something you've got to continually be mindful of. And when you are not, when you have acted hypocritically, repent. That's what we do. My friends, that's what we do. We repent, and then we ask the Lord's help to walk in love, to lead a life of real love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. That's what we do, okay? Don't sit there and beat up on yourself for the next two weeks. Oh my goodness, I am such, I am such a disingenuous person. i really, I'm just a mess. Yeah, I get it. We, we are, we are a mess. Repent! Call it what it is. It's sin. Repent and cry out to the Lord and seek his help and rely on the Spirit of God to walk in this divine, supernatural love. Okay? Simple. Now, look back at the text Romans 12, verse 9. That was the first one, beloved. See? So it's going to take us a little bit of time to work through these. Our Christian code of conduct. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Paul's next item in this Christian code of conduct is to abhor what is evil. I'm going to break them up. We're going to look at good next time. They go together. Abhor what is evil, like two sides of the same coin. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. But the word Abhor, that word could also, the Greek word for it, could also be translated hate exceedingly. Hate exceedingly, which is basically what abhor means. Abhor means to detest, to detest or hate. Now, what is the Christian supposed supposed to abhor? Hmm? Huh? Evil. Hey, what is it?
1: Evil, right? Not one another. (laughs) Not one another. That which is evil. Now listen to this. From Psalm 36.
0: I'm doing this to present a contrast to you. Psalm 36, verses 1 through 4. I'll read it to you. The psalmist says, transgression, that's wickedness, lawlessness, sin, transgressing of God's ways. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes, that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good, He does not reject or despise, another translation, what? Evil. He does not reject or despise evil. In direct contrast to that description of the wicked, the psalmist says this in Psalm 97, verse 10, or yes, oh, you who love the Lord, is that you, beloved? Is that you? What are you to do? Hate evil. Hate it. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 says this The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. And right there, wisdom is being personified. Wisdom is actually, the wisdom of God is speaking now. And that's what the wisdom of God says. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. One writer commenting on this, Romans, and this, to abhor what is evil, says this. Listen, thought this was good. To love God is to regard evil with horror. Unfortunately, familiarity with the culture that is shaped by the forces of Satan has lulled too many believers into a state of general tolerance for whatever deviant behavior is in vogue at present. We are to abhor evil because it is the enemy of all
1: that leads to Christlikeness. Christian Code of Conduct, beloved. Let me say
0: a few things concerning Paul's exhortation to abhor what is evil. Just a few things I want to draw from this. First,
1: to abhor what is evil means to abhor all that is evil. All that is evil. Everything that God detests
0: all that runs contrary to godliness. All of it. Right? I mean, me go. I get that, Jeremy, but I just wanted to make sure you get it. There is no selectiveness. There is to be no selectiveness in our
1: abhorrence of evil. So then, Christian... You are
0: not fully complying with this exhortation if, for instance, you hate or detest evil such as murder.
1: That's an easy one, right? I hate murder. Or how about rape? I hate rape. I detest it. Okay?
0: You hate those things, but you're still not fully complying if you then choose to expose yourself to pornography by visiting websites or watching TV shows or movies or reading magazines or popular best-selling books like Fifty Shades of Grey
1: that contain pornographic material. I can't, I can't believe our culture. I... I'm walking,
0: you know, in Ralph's now. Ralph's, right? It's a grocery store. And, you know, they put stuff out right there as you're walking through the line, hoping you'll grab it on your way out, right? It's a method. It works. What is there lined right there is all, everyone, all the kids, everyone makes their way. Fifty shades of gray. One book after another. This is a bestseller, beloved. It's pornographic material. When I was a child, they used to hide the pornographic material.
1: It was in the the area back there where you didn't go. It was still shameful, even. If people went, they did it kind of quietly and they didn't they in
0: fact that's why they had places, red light districts, things of this nature, where you could go and no one will see
1: you engaging in your lust. And now, right there. There's no shame.
0: And I guarantee you Christians have watched this garbage or read this terrible
1: book. I guarantee it. I know that just based on the numbers that have sold. You see what I'm saying? So we stand back and we go, oh, I hate
0: murder. Oh, I hate rape. Yeah, and we all, ooh, that's right, it's wrong, that's evil, that's terrible. And then we engage and we delight ourselves in
1: pornographic material. Huh? Brothers and sisters, you are not fully complying with this exhortation
0: if you hate or detest evil such as foul and perversive language or lying. I've heard people say that. Oh, I cannot stand I cannot stand foul language. It's it's so terrible and it is, beloved, it is. It's disgusting to God. It should be disgusting to you. Or people say, "I absolutely, there's just one thing I cannot tolerate and that's lying." Good. You shouldn't tolerate it cuz God doesn't. He's a God of truth, so he's absolutely opposed to liars. Okay? You with me? But then those very same people
1: choose to engage in gossip or slander. Oh, I hate evil. You're selective.
0: And Paul makes no room for selecting what you want to engage in and what you then
1: put over here in your bucket of I detest. Huh? How about this? You're not fully complying with this exhortation
0: If you hate or detest evil such as greed or thievery, there's another one. Christians are quick, man. They'll jump on the boat, man. Greed. That's what's wrong with this nation. That's what's wrong with this world. It's greed. You're right. You're right. Can't stand thievery. People taking my stuff, crashing into those buildings and stuff and ripping out the teeth. That's terrible. You're right.
1: But then they choose to tell dirtier racial jokes. Or maybe they don't tell them, but when they're told, they laugh. <laughs> so funny.
0: Every dirty or racial joke, beloved, is evil. It is evil.
1: Hmm? It's evil, beloved. One pastor commenting on this section said,
0: to laugh at evil or be entertained by evil whether in person or on a movie or TV screen, is not to abhor it. It's not to abhor it. Beloved, listen. You know, people are like, you need to lighten up. Now, hopefully you're not saying that. If you are, I'll you right now. But the world says those kind of things. You need to lighten up, man. Can't tell if a joke, off-color joke, off-color. I love how we, I love how we take all this, like adult entertainment. It's pornography,
1: guys. You see, they reframe it. They they repackage it. I totally lost where I was, but... (laughs) Listen, to abhor what is evil is to hate. That's what it was. Thank you. I just came
0: back. Yeah, lighten up. This isn't about lightening up, beloved. Listen, just think about it. And I, that last one, just that last one. I'm probably in your lifetime, you've heard a racial joke. And maybe you've told some few, okay? And maybe you even did it as a Christian. Beloved, that is such a great evil. You are glorifying a great evil every time you do that. Every time you engage, every time you laugh. Well, I didn't know what to
1: do when they told the joke. Well, don't laugh. Don't laugh. Do something other than that.
0: Should I tell them it's evil? Why not? Why not? Hey, that's, that's bringing humor to something like that. Or, or these sexual perverted jokes. You think that's funny? It's not funny. Because the people who suffer under those things, they know it's not funny. Well, can't you lighten up and, and have a laugh? Guys, that's what I wanted to say. I am funny. <laughs> I am. And I enjoy a good laugh. I do. There are a lot of pleasurable things and good things to laugh about and to laugh at. I enjoy laughing at myself on a regular basis. I know my wife does. (laughs) But not that. And anytime we've done it, beloved, if you've done it, repent. Repent. This is not how you are to behave as a believer of Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness, it's... Time. All right, we're almost done. Second, this is, I said a couple of things I wanted to say about this. A poor what is evil. I said the first. Let me say the second. Jesus said this, by this, in John thirteen thirty five. by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. That's how people will know you are my followers. We talked about this earlier, but this love that Jesus speaks about is not simply some emotion, but a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. I've said that now five, six times, because I just want to drive it home. If biblical love includes seeking the highest good of the one loved, and it does, we know that because of Christ, then we should also abhor any evil in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Since evil is the enemy of all that leads to Christ's likeness, which is the Christian's greatest good.
1: Now what does abhorring evil in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ look like? Well, it
0: doesn't look like gossiping about their evil. It certainly doesn't look like that. It looks like, when appropriate, confronting and exhorting each other in love, right? You have their best interest in mind. By the way, that's a sacrifice in itself. Kind of that whole uncomfortableness of doing that. But confronting and exhorting each other in love with gentleness, not haughty, coming down on them, about their sin. And then continually praying for and working towards one another's sanctification. That's what it looks like to abhor what is evil in the lives of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Which again would begin with the home. It should begin there. Paul says in Galatians six one, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You have a responsibility for one another, is Paul. That's what Paul's saying. Keep watch on yourself, though he gives a warning, lest you too be tempted. So I'm not a fool, I I don't act in pride like, oh, I'm so above this, but I come in the spirit of love and gentleness, seeking to restore my brother, exhort them, or my sister, and lead them out of this evil or this sin. Beloved, because of love, we must not sit back and take a none-of-my-business attitude and walk on by while one of our brothers and sisters in Christ plunges further and further into ruin. I know, that's, I know that's the approach, generally speaking, especially of California culture. Nobody gets involved in anybody else's business, right? You know that. Garage door goes up, cars go in, no one talks to anybody, no one, I mean, it's just... And then that mindset is brought into the church. So you, hey, you stay over there and you mind your own business, and you stay over there and mind your own business. Oh, I love you, I love you. See you next Sunday. Never get involved in each other's lives. And then even when we're involved, we don't go another step further. And by involved, I mean seeking their very best, which is Christ-likeness. And when we see
1: something that's getting in the way of that, we lovingly come alongside them and address that. We we do it for our children, I hope. We do it for our children, right? Right?
0: You see your kid, you think he's starting, let's just say, you think potentially he might be going in a direction that will lead to drug use? Do you go, well, it's none of my business. I mean, you know, he's going to make his own choices. Do you do that as a parent? I mean, if you do, that's terrible. There are parents who do that. But that's not love. You couldn't tell me you love your child and then you just let them go off into destructive behavior. Don't try to do something. Not that you, sometimes they're going to do it, I get
1: it. But you try. You speak to them, you pray for them. Your heart breaks for them. What about your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you
0: abhor what is evil in their life? And by that I mean not this judgmental kind of, I cannot believe you did that. Not that. But
1: my dear brother and sister, I got to speak to you about this. This will ruin you. At the same time, we're doing that. We should be continually examining our own
0: lives for areas where we have come to tolerate or even embrace some form of evil. And that's what I want you to do, beloved. I hope you've been doing that. But that's, what I, that's your homework. You go home and do that. Think about the other thing, too love, let it be genuine. But think about this especially.
1: Where in your life have you allowed evil to be okay? Repent. This is the answer. Repent. Turn from it and ask the Lord's divine help
0: in hating exceedingly what he hates. Help him to see things the way he sees them.
1: Help, Father. Help me to see things as they really are. Evil is not good. That's the world's motto. Evil is evil. And this is a personal note. I was thinking about this. How how my own
0: life... There's many ways. Drawing close to the Lord, being involved in the church, growing in your sanctification. All these things help you begin to abhor evil. Reading the word, being meditating on the word, all these things. As you draw closer to God, the ugliness of sin and evil becomes even uglier. All of those things. But here's another one. When you have witnessed or experienced the devastating consequences of the various forms of evil, then, beloved, then your eyes are opened. Then it's not so funny anymore.
1: It's not so funny. It's not something you would tell a joke about. It's not something you would entertain. Beloved,
0: so as a pastor and getting to see this over and over and over again in people's lives, yeah, it's had an impact on me for sure. So for instance, watching pornography destroy one family after another, I don't think it's okay. I don't think it's something you should ever touch. It should be nowhere near you in any form. And yet I know right now I know without knowing individually I know statistically there are men here that will go home tonight hopefully not tonight but maybe last night and viewed pornography Or maybe their wives and they do it together they watch it
1: cuz it spices up their love life It's evil And you watch enough
0: people get ruined by it then you Call it what it is, which God called it what it was
1: from the very beginning because he calls things as they are. Or how about the destruction that
0: gossip reaps in families' lives or in the lives of a church? The pain or the problems in people's lives, maybe, that are a result of sexual immorality. Huh? When you actually have experienced that or got to witness it over and over again and see... The hurt that comes from not living
1: in obedience to God. Then, then, that does help to abhor what is evil. Beloved, let love be genuine. Let it be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil.
0: And next time we'll pick up where we left off. Cling. Cling to what is good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I th- I've said enough. So Lord, I ask you to do the work that you do. You do it through your word. You do it through your spirit. Father, I pray you would do that work in our lives. Father, bring bring conviction where that conviction is necessary, and bring a willingness to repent and to call out to you, to trust in you, and to begin to walk in the power of the Spirit. Live a life of love, genuine love, and hate exceedingly evil. And Father, not just in others, not just in the world, Not just the evil out there, but the evil that we have brought close to us. Father, may we hate it like the plague. May we detest it. May we abhor it. May we put it far from us and help us, Lord, where our minds have gone cloudy to see clearly.
1: For our good. For your glory. For Jesus' sake, in his name, amen.